Recently, my wife and I got to go away on a vacation, just the two of us, to Florida. We, I did this two weeks ago. We dropped off my kids at my in-laws, and it was the best 17-hour car, car ride like, of my life. <laughs> I don't understand how much you appreciate car rides, but on the way down there, we listened to Harry Potter, Sorcerer's Stone on an audiobook, and on the way back, we listened to Chamber of Secrets. It was awesome. But um, going down there, we got a really good vacation deal. We were super grateful for it, but within this deal, there's one catch, one catch. And the last day we were there, we had to sit through a timeshare pitch. And so I'm not here going to, like, if you have a time shot, this, this point of this message isn't to poke the bear or anything like that, because I do realize there's some good deals out there, everything. But the, for the, just for the audience, like, everyone just like, all right, we know what's going on. And so, leading up to this vacation, I had my friends, like my small groups here, and all the, my small group, all my friends, my family were saying, don't do it, Foster. Don't you do it. And I was just telling people the entire time going down there, you know me. I have the willpower not to do this. And so we get down there, enjoying this vacation. We get in this room, and we check all in, and there's this guy. He welcomes me in the room. He says, sir, will you please sit up here in the front with me? And I was like, okay. And so... We go up to the front of the room, and then he starts saying, if I'm going to be with you for three hours, I want to kind of tell you a little bit about myself. And I was like, okay. He says, I'm from South Africa. I was a professional golfer. I'm ranked third in the world. I did all these things, and I met a wife, and I put all that behind me, and then I wanted to invest in what really counts, like leaving a legacy. And I kid you not, this is just how naive I am. Him doing this pitch, I'm like, you and I have so much in common. <laughs> As this guy's talking to me, I'm like, you and I. I'm like, I too am like super good at golf. That's not true. If Pastor Steve makes it a point to joke with me every year that I'm terrible at golf at the men's outing. But he's going through this pitch and he starts saying, all right, I want you to be honest with me. How many of you know like the negative things that come with timeshare? He's like, be honest, be honest. And I was just like, okay. I raised my hand. I was like, yeah, it's super negative. He says, I want you to know, I'm not here to trick you. And I was like, I believe you. <laughs> You're not here to trick me. You won't. And so he's talking to me. He's talking to me. He mentioned that he wanted to invest in the right things, leave a legacy for his family, where I am home and have a well-deserved vacation sometime with my family. And he looked at me. This is where it gets even more pathetic with me. He looked at me and said, sir, have you ever been to the Appalachian Mountains in the, in the fall with your family? And I was like, no. He says, it will change your children forever. <laughs> and I was like, I'm a horrible father. This dude's just pulling me in. And I'm, I'm sitting there. The, like, I was telling, talking to my wife, Emily, about this. I'm sitting there. And I've, at the end of this presentation, I'm like, I'm buying this timeshare. <laughs> I'm doing it. And to which, during this whole time, Emily is sitting next to me, just glaring at me. Just like, is she the first thing she says to me as we stand up? Don't you dare. <laughs> she just stares at me, but I was like, honey, 
this is such a great deal. Like, we're just murmuring to each other, walking out of this room. She says, yeah, at the $80,000 down payment you're going to have to do today. I was like, $80,000? And all of a sudden, I felt like I just got slapped in the face, and I quickly came to my senses, and I was just like, of course, honey, we would never do this. But they had me this whole time, like, I wasn't going to look at that number at all. Like, they kept just pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off, and... This gives us some kind of context of self-control because the one question I want to ask is, could a, non, could a non-Christian and a Christian both have self-control in that moment? The answer is yes. But the thing we're going to dive into Scripture is seeing what is the difference Maybe I can say it a different way. The question isn't, are you self-controlled? It's, for what reason are you self-controlled? Or, how are you self-controlled? So, that's why this is important for us to see, because there's plenty of wise, like, just non-Christian out there who would look at me the whole time saying, Foster, you're being an idiot. Like, you're not going to buy this timeshare. But I'm like, oh my word, we could do so much things with this. <laughs> but, we're going to walk through Scripture and see what the gospel offers us through self-control. So with everything, we turn to God's word for answers. So 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 1 through 8. This is God's word. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtain a faith of equal standing of ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a cool thing right there. He's, he's calling Jesus and God the same person there. Just know when people try to tell you the Trinity isn't real, just read that. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we may be partakers of his divine nature, having escaped from corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and with godliness brotherly affection, and with brotherly affection love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the hope we have in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that for those who are in him, to when the Father looks at us, they see Jesus. Be with us today, Father. Soften our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So Peter talks about self-control as the supplement of your faith. So we're going to walk through this. So each aspect is like you're supplementing your faith into something. And so today our focus is on self-control particularly. And so I don't know about you, but self-control, patience, those are things that I really don't like in my life. I don't know about you. One thing that my wife's about ready to have our third kid and uh, 
People ever all the time ask me, do you want to find out the gender? I'm like, I often told them, God tells me to be patient in a lot of areas of my life. I don't choose. <laughs> if I have a choice, I don't want to choose it. <laughs> and so, but self-control is something that we desperately need in our lives. And why? But particularly, we're going to look at for what reason are you self-controlled and how are you? So, Verses 5 and 6 tell us, for supplement your faith with virtue, with virtue, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control. So I'm going to have this working definition of self-control that we're going to glean from other texts. But from this text and others, this is how I wanted to define self-control for us this morning. Self-control is the fruit of restraint of your sinful desires as you become conformed to the image of Christ. Self-control is the fruit of restraint of your sinful desires as you be conformed to the image of Christ. And that's like one of the biggest points. So today we're going to be looking at um, simply what is self-control. So working through this definition, for what reason, why do you need self-control? And then lastly, after we talk about all that, how do you get it? How do you get gospel self-control that the word offers? So self-control is the fruit of restraint of your sinful desires as you become conformed to the image of Christ. So why is this important? Doing some research up to this and um, just good reading a lot of outside texts. This is what the world, even non-Christians, have to say about self-control. So recently, Psychology Today, which is a leading uh, article that you can read about just leading uh, findings in psychology, Psychology Today writes this about self-control. Self-control, or the ability to manage one's impulses, emotions, and behavior to achieve long-term goals is what separates humans from the rest of the animal kingdom. Self-control is primarily rooted in the prefrontal cortex, the planning, the problem-solving, decision-making, the center of the brain. Just stopping there. So take note. Psychology Today is, tell, is telling you and I that self-control is one of the primary things that separate us from your dog back home because self-control is what's the means that you can possess to, to achieve long-term goals. You have self-control so that you can attain long-term goals. Further, the Journal of Psychology, this is more of an academic journal, Dr. Aaron Bolin writes about students' ability to have self-control in the classroom and academic honesty. He writes this, Academic dishonesty is a persistent and pervasive problem on college campuses. Researchers have suggested a variety of factors that influence academic dishonesty. The present study is an examination of the roles of self-control, attitude towards academic dishonesty, and perceived opportunity in predicting academic dishonesty. The data consists of 853 surveys, and the results show that the attitude towards academic dishonesty meditated on the relationship between self-control, academic dishonesty, and also the perceived opportunity. So stopping right there. I want you to link between the two we just read. So come to Psychology Today. We restrain ourselves so that we can achieve long-term goals. During a survey of over 800 students, they found that students only don't cheat and restrain themselves in the classroom when they have the perception, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? 
And so when we're looking at these database that we find with self-control, we find that it's very much of like, how can I move on to this later? What does it mean for me to get out of this? But we know that Psychology Today, Dr. Bullen, they're not new to this because if we go really early in writings, the Stoics and Aristotle had a lot to write about self-control. Aristotle, for instance, he would write about how self-control is the power of the will, that some people in this life are just able to restrain themselves as a superiority over others. And so that those who are just indulged in this life and who are just down and outers, it's like they are inferior to those who can contain themselves and go forward. And so, the world, history, those who don't follow Christ have a lot to say about self-control, and they promote that it's a highly desired thing to do. But what's the difference? What is it that Paul says, supplement yourself, your faith for self-control? What is this true difference? The difference here between self-control from the world and from the scriptures. The world says restrain yourself, restrain your desires for the purpose of gaining something. If there's no gain, there's no reason. There's no reason to restrain your desires. The biblical worldview is opposite though. Your sinful desires are restrained as you become conformed to be different, as you transform. It could say that you don't want to gain something from the situation, but rather make someone known in the situation. So we read here in verses 3 and 4, again, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through knowledge of him who's called us for his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be partakers of divine nature. And then notice this last clause, having escaped from corruption that's in this world because of what? Sinful desire. And so, the desire of wanting to push me forward, of making me know, what do I get out of this, is you escape that. You're free from you. You can go after him. If self-control is the restraining of desires as we become conformed to the image of Christ, it is evident that the definition of why we need it, Scripture gives us a set of self-control that is different from the world, it could be helpful to distinguish them, these two, is the world offers you selfish control while the gospel offers you selfless control. Those are two different frames you can put it. The world can tell you you can have selfish control or the gospel says you can have selfless control. The world says restrain yourself for personal gain. Scripture says restrain yourself because you are being personally transformed. So a question is, this morning for you, is how do we know if we're selfless controlled or being selfish controlled? How do we know that? Well, look at the situations are you in. Are you restraining yourself to, for the benefit of others or to be seen apart from others? Are you restraining yourself because you want others to be promoted, to make others' people's lives better, to make sure that they are being served, that they are being seen, that they are loved by God? Or are you restraining yourself so that you can be seen like, well, I wasn't with those sinners over there, so you can see that I'm better, right? You know that why I didn't do those things. I would never do those things like them, right? So I'm better. 
We have to assess of like, are we restraining ourselves so that people praise us for our actions in the way that we're so self-disciplined? Or we restrain ourselves because it's like, I want you to thrive and I want to love you. Those are ways that we assess ourselves. The selfish controlled person sets themselves apart in this life for praise. The selfless controlled person restrains themselves in this life to look like Christ. We can boil this down to just to a question. It may seem elementary, but as you reflect, it's just like, do we look like Christ? Again, we look through the Gospels. We read who he was and how he acted around people how he restrained himself from using power or authority when times when it came to how in the wilderness. How did he operate? And we do the same through him. So that is what self-control is and how the world functions as opposed to scripture. But if self-control is linked to desires, we have to address our desires this morning, right? And so if it is because we escape from the corruption of this world because of sinful desires, then let's talk about our desires. Because desires within themselves aren't bad. It's just sinful desires that ruin a lot of things. And so, oh, next point is, why do we need self-control? Look with me at Galatians 5, 16 through 24. This is Paul writing to the Galatians. He says these words. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Pause. One thing that's awesome about the Greek language right here is this is the strongest negation that you'll ever get in the Greek language, the will not. It's the Greek words unme. And this means like you'll never, 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 never do this. Don't do it. Because... You are walking by the Spirit, which we're going to see those in a second, like see how they sit with supplementing your faith and walking by the Spirit. But Paul says, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh if you walk by the Spirit. For he says, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Get that. They keep you from doing the things you want to do. It's this inner battle going inside of you. It's like if you are in Christ today, there's no like, okay, am I always a selfless control person? Am I always a selfish control person? That's the inner conflict you got going inside of you. I'll tell you what, I'm that every day, mostly the selfish control person. If you have children in the troop, you're like, I'm really a selfish control person. But we keep reading. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, as uh, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and these and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified the flesh and with its passions and desires. Again, going back to the, desire, the definition we got going into this. It is self-control is the fruit. The fruit 
That's important to see it that way because it's not you pulling yourself by your bootstraps like, all right, today's the day I'm going to be the most self-controlled person. What we notice about Paul and Peter, they both preface it first in knowing him, going after Jesus Christ, getting close to your Savior, loving him. It's not going after the qualities that come with him, but the person of who he is. And when you're with him and you're close to him, those things tend to follow. But we're going to talk about it in a second. There's ways in which we develop that within the local church and community. But the first thing that we can't skip on, the things that we can't shortchange ourselves are, is we have to know Jesus Christ and first and foremost pursue the person of who he is. So that's why we have to look at that. Peter advocates his readers to possess self-control because of the faith they have in Christ. How does this text help us understand why we need self-control offered through the gospel? The Spirit offers self-control that brings peace and satisfaction to the soul that selfish control offered to the world only intensifies. We all know the feeling of when we're just either It sounds counterintuitive, but when you're restraining yourselves for that being seen above others, it just doesn't satisfy. I mean, this is an area of my life where I'm currently having to actively, like, repent of even this is past week as I talked to Emily. So part of my story is just, like, I've always struggled with academics. I've always just struggled with it. I had to go to my mom, my kind mother who's sitting here. She had to drive me to Cleveland, like, two or three times a week growing up for, to do special testing because I just struggled with reading. I couldn't do really anything. And so I had to go through all these studies, and I hated always growing up being called stupid or dumb. I hated it. Just when friends joke around and all that stuff. And so in my core, myself, I was like, all right, I'm going to restrain this stuff, pull myself up my bootstraps, and I'm going to be seen apart from others. So go through homeschool, go to community college, start basically over with math. Go through community college, go to Purdue. Go to Purdue, go to seminary. Go to seminary, finish my doctorate. I did all these things where I'm, about, I'm right now about ready to finish this road. And I look at my wife, Emily, I'm like, didn't satisfy. Didn't do it. Yes, God's gracious with me. Yes, God is kind. Yes, there's things that I've learned that I love. But when we restrain ourselves, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, hold back our desires because then I'm going to be seen that I can be accepted or praised because of this. It's just going to leave you wanting more. Because you, why we need the gospel restraint is because it offers that you're not just going to be more valid and more accepted by your high moral standards because you already are accepted and loved. You don't have to restrain yourself just because you're like, okay, now I'm going to be better than this person over here in my youth group or over here. No. I want to encourage you, just the the selfish, controlled person, it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. Because one day those desires won't want to be restrained anymore. Or they're going to manifest themselves in a complete other way horrible way they will to which the uh, the gospel offers you freedom 
Again, if you just read right before this in Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. So we look at the gospel to what it offers us, of why we can be restrained because our sinful desires are actually diminishing. It's a fruit of their being diminished because you're going after a person. Let us choose rest and selfless control because that is the life of satisfaction. I think, again, this just goes down to one thing I appreciate with John Piper is he teaches, I call Christian hedonism, is God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. It's just going after him. Your selfless, your selfless control comes from you being rooted in something better. Your nature is shifted to something deeper. And the flow of how you present yourself in private and in public places gets changed. Christian, you need selfless control because your sinful desires are calling you daily. You are at war. Keep in step with the Spirit. Surround yourself with people who are pursuing Christ. Know his word and his promises he has given you. God's promises are the only hope you have. And you just have to ask yourself, just like, if you're going to be restrained, do you know his promises? Because if you don't know his promises, how are you, like, you need stuff to constantly help you to be restrained. Like, what is he saying to me? Do I have to restrain myself to get this promotion so that I'll take care of my family later? No. God says he'll always take care of your family. It might not be to your standards, but he will because he cares for you and he loves you. But lastly, we have to get to this is how do I just get self-control? If you came here, the only thing you're looking for is just how do I get it? How do I get it? I'm tired of being just exhausted from being selfishly controlled. What does this mean for me? Well, I believe scripture in this passage gives us the two ways we get self-control. So first, how do we get it? 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. To those who obtain a faith equal standing to ours by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The first and foremost way how you get selfless control, how you get the self-control that's actually satisfying to you is repent. <laughs> is you don't look for your righteousness to make you better. You look to his righteousness. You look to him. And so today you need to repent of your sins and turn to Christ and worship him. That is the way we start getting the eyes off of yourself, off of myself, and we turn and look at him. And that is the first step that everyone needs to take in how we be conformed to his image. Self-control is the aroma of being near Christ. Self-control is not that you have the tight schedule to follow. It is the diminishing of your old self and the replacement of the new self. So how do you get self-control? Like I said, repent and turn to Jesus. Leave your selfish control pursuit behind and turn to the selfish control of Christ. But there's second here. You're saying, okay, I, I follow Christ. I believe, like I know him, but I still struggle with this. What does this mean? Well, I want you to notice this passage to how it progresses. Faith, love. If you notice, brotherly affection, love. And if you read to each of these letters, he's writing to local churches. Is it too crazy to say, supported by this passage, your self-control isn't just a you thing to do, but it's a community to help you do it? We get here when it says brotherly affection, the love for one another. 
self-control, your restraining is when people know you and they know where you're like the areas of your life to where you're, 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 you want to just go after the gratifying of the flesh. If you're sitting there saying, like, I really want to go sleep with that person, but it's like, I need help. It's just like, well, how can I help you restrain? I don't want to say, okay, I'll pray for you. It's just like, stop it. Pray for them and then go with them. Have them sleep on your floor. Have them sleep in your bed and you go sleep on the floor. I don't care what it is, but you go and you care for them and you actually meet them where they're at. Dr. Ed Welch, I love it, he puts it this way, is a good indicator of whether or not you want to grow in self-control is this. Do you have a clear public strategy? Put another way, if anyone says, I'm really going to change this time, I don't think I need any help, then that person has yet to understand the biblical teaching of self-control. It is one thing to make a resolution. It is something completely different to repent, diligently seek counsel in concert with others, develop a plan that is concrete and Christ-centered. They're completely different. We all know January 1st comes around, I'm going to work out now. And we do all that. We do it. But it's completely different if it's something you generally want to be restrained and controlled and self-disciplined is you're saying, okay, small group, okay, friends, okay, people who know me, what does this look like to come alongside me to, as Paul says in Galatians 6, bear each other's burden or carry a load together? What does this mean? It's like, you're going to come alongside me. We're going to help restrain myself to go this way, to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's an us thing. That's why we sing songs together in a room together. Because you sing to each other promises of God and you know what's going on in their life. And when you're singing what he's done, you can sing, I'm singing this song because I know they need to hear this. I know it. And when we come together in small group because we know each other, and so if you're sitting in this room and says, okay, I'm a Christian. Okay, I want to grow in self-control. To Pastor Jared's point, do you attend here or do you belong here? Do you belong here? We get it. We all get it. It's like sometimes we feel like, I feel like I'm pursuing, 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 but no one's pursuing me. Hey, that's where grace is. And this is where we communicate it. We're vulnerable with each other. We care for each other. And we know that from the lies we believe, you're not going to be accepted if you communicate where you want to be controlled. If that's the lie, you will be. Because ultimately, by his righteousness, right? By his, it's not Pastor Jared's righteousness, it's not Bill's righteousness, even though he has cool tattoos. It's Jesus Christ, righteousness. And Welch continues when he says, the heart of any plan, of course, must be Jesus. Self-control, like any other feature of wisdom, is that when we learn by, uh, by contemplating a person, strategically, this is unprecedented. We would expect God to yell at us and tell us again to shape it up, but God's way, being much better than ours, rarely predictable, Rather than give us a 12-step on which we lie, he gives us a person to know. And we get to know him together. And we're in this room together. And so maybe sometimes counterintuitive the way we don't think, but self-control isn't you at your home and just 
fighting not to turn on that TV, to go to that computer, to go to the gym, but rather it's, uh, hey, fellow believer, how can we conform each other to his image? And what does that look like? We need each other. We need each other for self-control. It's a community thing. Finishing with this, is self-control is a grace. It is a grace we live in because if it's all about sinful desires, we have to know it's just like God could give us over to our desires, but yet he gives us grace not to. So what does the gospel do? The gospel frees us to be restrained. It's not we're restrained so that we receive the gospel. It's the gospel frees us to be restrained so that we can be changed, so that we can be self-controlled together.